H12, how we doing? Yeah? Doing good? You guys happy? Did anybody brave the weather? Anybody see anything they shouldn't see on the way here? Any trees on the road? Anything like that? Yeah? A few of that? Guys, my name is Trey Hildebrandt. I am one of the group life pastors here at 12 Stone. It is my joy to get to hang out with you. It is an honor to get to see what God is doing in the high school ministry here at 12 Stone. Aren't you guys thankful for Derek and what he's doing? You guys love Derek? There's the scream I was looking for. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting to see what God is doing in so many high schools uh, in this area through, uh, through 12 Stone, how God chooses to use this church to impact lives. So uh, tonight, I have the privilege of uh, moving forward with the Goliath Must Fall series, and I love that title. I love, I love this idea that, that we, can, we can look at the Old Testament story about a guy named David, a guy named Goliath, and we can, we can see that there's more to it. There's more than just this one story in the Old Testament, that we all face these things in our lives. Every single one of you guys face things in your lives that you need to see come down, right? There are things in each one of your lives that you need to see change, and that's what we get to talk about a little bit today. There's a few things that God wants to teach us from the life of David uh, and from, from uh, beginning back with the story of David and Goliath, over the past few weeks, you guys hit David and Goliath, and last week you got to hit uh, the story of David and Bathsheba, and we're going to jump off uh, right there in that story in just a few minutes. I do want to say, before I get much further, my beautiful wife is here in the back. Yeah, yeah. Her name is Sarah. We have a son named Bear. Yes, uh, like the forest animal, uh, th- th- we have a son uh, named Bear who uh, we got to take outside this morning. We didn't get snow, but we thought maybe it'd be fun to, to, to put him in a, a giant uh, little parka thing and go roll around outside in the just the frozen grass. And I was on Facebook today, and I saw uh, a picture that I thought I had to share with you guys because this is what typically what happens in Atlanta when there's the threat of snow. Did anybody this, this testify? You guys didn't have to go to school today, and this is what we got to, to, to do a little bit. But, uh, but it's, a, you know, it's just a lot of fun to, get to, to miss a day of school uh, every now and then, even if it is for something that we don't tend to, to see a lot, of, uh, a lot of snow or something like that. Um, and then talking about Goliath, there's another picture I wanted to show. Anybody know who Kevin Hart is? Yeah, I figured, I figured. What about Dwight Howard? He's probably not quite as well-known. Dwight Howard, he's a professional NBA basketball player. Throw that uh, picture up on the screen. When I, think of, when I think of David and Goliath, I think about some things. I think about this. Throw up that other picture. The other one might show. There you go. This is, a real, this is real. Dwight Howard's, I don't know if he's seven foot tall. Is anybody, can anybody confirm? Is he seven feet tall? Any, any, any of my sports guys out here, seven feet-ish, and then Kevin Hart. When I think about Goliath, guys, I think about that type of thing, right? You think about something big. You think about something in our lives that we have to see tackle. We have to see fall down that, let's be honest, we don't know if it can. There are things in your life that you need to see fall, and you don't know if it's even possible, You don't know if God can actually save you from blank. You don't know if God can actually change that thing or change that circumstance or save you from your past mistakes. You wonder, you think, man, that thing is just too big. Can God really do something in me? Can God really see that Goliath in my life fall? And and I absolutely think he can. 
Last week, you, you dove into uh, the story of David and Bathsheba. And just to kind of recap a little bit, because it's really relevant to where we're going to be jumping in today. David was a man after God's own heart. That's what the scripture calls him. Calls him a man after God's own heart. We know the story of him as the hero facing Goliath. We maybe even know that he was a great king throughout the, the history of Israel. David did a lot of incredible things. But as we learned last week, David screwed up massively. David made a massive mistake with a woman named Bathsheba. He commits adultery, he gets her pregnant, and then because of that, because of that shame, he arranges the circumstances to where he sends her husband onto the battlefield where he becomes responsible for this woman's husband's death. Okay, so ultimately David has committed adultery and he has uh, almost murdered a man. You could say that David murdered a man. So he has made a massive mistake. And that's on the heels of what happened, what you guys talked about last week and where we're moving to today is is what happened next. So David screws up majorly, and so we get to ask the question of what happened next. And I think that's a question, that's some tension that we can wrestle with, is when you screw up, because we all screw up, when you mess up, when I mess up, what happens next in your life? What does that look like for you when you fall short of God's best, when you, when you screw something up, when you make a decision that is not good, when you uh, make a mistake, what happens next for you? Hold on to that, to that question. We're going we're gonna to dig into that a little bit, but what, what is that for you? What happens next in light of our mistakes, in light of your mistakes, in light of, of different failures in, our, in your life, what happens next? For David, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, a guy named Nathan appears on the scene. And Nathan was a prophet and a friend of David's. Nathan was a prophet and a friend of David's. And God has given a message to Nathan and says, Nathan, I need you to go talk to my boy David. I need you to kind of wrestle around with some things with him. And I need you to share some things with David. And so Nathan, being David's friend, uh, approaches David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and has some things to share with him. And just kind of thinking through that, I began to think about friends. I began to think about all the types of friends that we all have. And we all have, whether you realize it or not, each one of you, you kind of categorize your friends, don't you? So we, we all would say, maybe most of us, I hope, and if not, I mean, I'm sure there's some of you that are kind of wrestling with some stuff, but all of us would say we maybe have a best friend, right? Some of the ladies in here, you, some of the girls, you would think you have maybe 14 to 15 best friends. You kind of throw that out a little loosely. Guys, we don't throw out the word best friend much. I don't know many you know, 17-year-old guys that look at another 17-year-old guy and go, dude, you're my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoy our company. <laughs> no, I don't think that happens as much. But then we have, uh, so we, we understand best friends. Some of you probably have close friends. You know, those people that you're also maybe not quite to the level of best friend, but you feel pretty comfortable with them. And then you have your school friends, right? You guys have your school friends, those, those people that you talk to when you're at school that you kind of hang out with. And even more specific than that, you guys have your lunchroom friends. You know what I'm talking about? Most of my public school, we're my public school people. And you all go to big public schools for the most part because everything in Gwinnett County is humongous. I figured that out. My wife and I live in Jackson County, but we are more familiar with Hall County. So everything in Gwinnett County is humongous, which means you probably have like seven lunches. And you all know when you get your schedule, what is one of the first things you do when you get your schedule? You figure out what lunch you're going to do. You get on Facebook, you go, hey, who's got lunch B or who's got third lunch? You know what I'm talking about? Or, and then you have to go to school, you go to school, you kind of wander around, you get your lunch tray, or you take your lunch and you walk into the lunchroom and you're kind of like, where's that, that table for the rest of the year, you know? So we have our lunchroom friends, we have our fun friends, guys, and we have, we have our serious friends, we have our church friends, some of you guys, 
are hanging out tonight probably with people you only see here. We have our awkward friends. <laughs> yeah, okay. Here's the thing. We all have that friend. Listen, hey guys, we all have that friend that's kind of our awkward friend, you know? Kind of that person that, that, we, that we see and they, they come in and they just kind of always make things a little bit weird, but you still like them. Hey, and if, if you're in here right now, I'm sorry. If you're in here right now and you're like, I don't have an awkward friend, then you are the awkward friend, you know, that whole thing. And then we all have the, uh, guys, we all have the wrong time, wrong place friend. We all have the wrong time, wrong place friend. Yeah, some of you guys, you're, you're, you're labeling yourself. Hey, but watch the screens as we think about wrong time, wrong place friend. So DirecTV throws out these ads that just make us kind of think about our relationships. And in that case, guys, here's the, here's the bottom line. We all have friends and we all have different kind of categories of friends. And in this particular story, David has Nathan. David has Nathan. It's in 2 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 12, David has Nathan. And Nathan is not only David's friend, but he's a prophet of God for the nation of Israel. And God comes in and speaks to Nathan and says, Nathan, I need you to go share something with David. And that's where we're going to hop in. The first verse there, if you want to turn there, that'd be great. I'm going to be reading out of the, uh, the ESV. So if you're not familiar with what version of the Bible I'm reading from, 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. Let's hear what David's friend Nathan has to say to David right after David has screwed up. Verse 1, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came, to him and said, he came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city. The one was rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he, bought it, and he brought it up, and he grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take care of his own flock or herd or, or to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took to the poor man's lamb, so he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. So let me kind of break down what's happening. Nathan comes to David, and he goes on to tell David a story about this rich man and this poor man, and how the rich man has tons of things, has tons of, of, of just the, the cattle and herds of, of goats and lambs, and this poor man has one little lamb that is not just like a, a, a lamb as in terms of just, you know, this thing he has rolling around in his backyard. This poor man has a lamb that's almost part of his family, which is kind of odd, but it's almost part of his family. And the rich man uh, needs to treat a traveler to, uh, to a meal. And instead of using from his abundance, the rich man steals from the poor man, the one lamb that the poor man had. So David hears this story of injustice. So Nathan's sharing this story as a story of injustice. It's a story of somebody wronging another person. Nathan shares this story with David and David gets mad. He doesn't see something here. David doesn't see what Nathan is trying to say. David gets upset at the injustice of the rich man and how the rich man treated the poor man. But Nathan teaches us something about, uh, about David here that David has to hear in a really intense way. In verse 7, Scripture says this, Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are that man. David had just committed the, this incredibly egregious sin against a man named Uriah. He had taken his wife and then taken Uriah's life. And what we come to find out, if you were to read and kind of know the history here, is not only had David committed that huge sin against Bathsheba and against Uriah, but he tried to cover it up. And he hid it. He hid it. 
And he didn't talk to people about his sin. He didn't share what had happened in his life with other people. So God has to speak to Nathan. And God has to send Nathan to David to reveal something to David. God uses Nathan to open up David's eyes to his own sin. Because unfortunately, the reality is this. Sometimes we cannot see our sin. We need somebody else to help us see it. There are times when you and I will not see our own sin. We'll need somebody else to help us see it. In this particular case, if you go on to read the story, David uh, begins to understand that he is the rich man who stole from the poor man. He sees his sin, and God uses Nathan to put David back on the right path. God uses Nathan, as painful as it is, God uses Nathan to point David back to God because David had chased after his own lust and his lies and then he had lied about it. He had tried to hide it. And when Nathan steps into David's life, God uses a friend to point David back to God. And it's in the midst of just uh, running away from his duties as the king. It's in the midst of running away from God. It's in the midst of murder and adultery that a person steps in and God uniquely uses him to set things right. We learn a truth here that will always prove to be true for you as you guys step forward into life, as you grow. I mean, you're in high school. As you take steps to college or, or work or beyond, it will always prove to be true that we is greater than me. We is greater than me. And unfortunately, it's in these moments when we sometimes realize the, the depth of that. It's sometimes in the moments of a, of a mess up, in a screw up, in a failure, in a mistake, when we realize that we really is greater than we, we is greater than me. Because I ask you the question, when you fall down in your life, when you choose something that is not God's best, when you run after things that are not of God and you screw up and you mess things up, I asked you what happens next. And in the case of David, what happened next was there was somebody in his life who had the guts to step up to him and point him back to what really mattered. In your life, is there somebody that when you kind of slip and fall, is there a we, there, is there a, a group, are there people who not only love you but love God that are willing to pick you up and point you back in the right direction? Because it's true for us, it's true for us as it was true for David. Not only do, do we find ourselves needing community and needing friends for any sorts of things, but in this particular case, David needed Nathan to help point him back to God, and we so often need other people to help point us back to God. I know I found this to be incredibly true in my life as I've moved through different seasons of life. If it, has not, if it had not been for a few specific guys a few specific men, brothers in Christ in my life to help point me in the direction that I should walk when I began to stray, I would not be here today. Here's my hope. For the next few minutes that we would unpack why we is greater than me and together we would be able to walk away looking for relationships that honor God and help us honor God. We is greater than me for a few really specific reasons. Where are my, uh, my drivers in here? People who drive. 16-year-olds? There's a good number of you, so God, God help us. 16, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds? Who knows what a blind spot is? Yeah, if you drive, you should know what a blind spot is. If you don't know what a blind spot is, then you probably should get off the road. Here's... Here's, here's, here's what happens when you drive. Let me explain what a blind spot is. So you're driving, 
So you're driving down the interstate. Let's, let's picture, guys, you're driving down, you're di- driving down I-85, and you're driving down the interstate, and when somebody, there's a portion of your sight, if you're driving a car, if you're, say you want to switch lanes and you're driving, there's a portion of your sight that gets blocked, and it's, you're, you're blind to it. You can't see what is going on behind you. You can't see in that one little spot. And so what happens if you're driving, if you don't look and you see your blind spot properly, you turn, you hit somebody, and, you know, disaster happens. It is completely true that in our lives, there are times when we have really large blind spots and we cannot see our lives the way we need to see our lives because we don't have the the right perspective. Other people sometimes see you better than you see you. Other people sometimes see you better than you see you. I know when I'm driving, if there's somebody in my back seat and I can't see my blind spot, there's always going to be a blind spot when I'm driving. There's no matter what. There's going to be some sort of blind spot when I'm driving. There are times when I have to holler at the person in the back seat and say, hey, am I good? Because that person may be able to see some things that I can't see. And when you are in relationship with other people, please hear this. When you are focusing on we, when it comes to your relationship with God, rather than just me, there are people in your life that can see you better than you see you. God grants an amount of insight to the people in your life, people who surround you, so that they can see the blind spots in your life. The things that you don't see, they can see. So you have this sin, this thing that's creeping up in your personality or this tendency that you have. Sometimes Satan likes to sneak up close to us and and almost mask himself and disguise himself and we don't even see it as Satan. We don't even see it as, as evil. And when we don't allow somebody else to see the blind spots in our life, evil can get a foothold and begin to take some, some ground in, in our lives and in our hearts. But when we surround ourselves with people that we let them see us. You notice I, I, I said when we let people, you know, people sometimes see you better than you see you. That does mean to some degree you have to let people in and show the real you at times. Because especially in church, especially in here, there are many of you tonight who this is not the real you, unfortunately. This is not the real you. For whatever reason, you're kind of, you, you know how to walk in these doors and you know how to play the game a little bit. You know how to play the church game. You know how to put it on. You know that that, that girl or that guy is here. So you want to show up, put on the church face a little bit, win them, maybe get to hang out with them. And then maybe eventually the real you will come up. But to be in, in a position where people can actually see your blind spots and help you walk closer to God, you're gonna, go and, you're gonna have to drop the mask, drop the facade, drop the fake side of you so people can actually see the real you. And when they see the real you, they may be able to see the things that you can't see about yourself and help point them out. Blind spots are a reality that I, am, I have personally been so blessed that people have been able to call those out in my life before I crash. Because here's what's crazy about a blind spot is it's typically really, really close to you. If you think about when you're driving, the blind spot is that, it's that part, it's that, that, that piece of, of your sight of, of vision when you're looking at the road that's really, really close. And it's in those moments when you can't see it, that you make a turn that you'll probably wreck. You'll probably wreck. 
Wreck your life, wreck your situation, wreck your relationship. Because if you don't see it before, but before you make a move, if you don't see it before you know it, somebody has probably moved into you or you've moved into them in a way that causes a chain reaction of destruction. But when we have people who love us and love God at the same time placed into our lives, they can be the ones that are sitting in the back seat kind of checking out your blind spots. And when they do that, we're setting ourselves up for so much more. Uh, 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 we're setting ourselves up for safety. We're setting ourselves up for uh, a direction that would honor God because we would, in those moments, we would, see, we would know and see the things that would otherwise have caused us destruction. One of, we were in a staff meeting yesterday, and I wrote, the, wrote this quote now. One of our pastors shared this quote. It says, one of the greatest gifts the giver gives you is to see yourself the way others see you. One of the greatest gifts the giver sees you is to see yourself the way others see you. One of the greatest gifts, I'm going to elaborate on that, one of the greatest gifts that God can give us is to give us people in our lives who will tell us the truth about who we are and the things that are going on around us because at times we're blind to to those things in our own life. I do want to throw out a little bit of a disclaimer. Here's what this does not mean. Hey, that guy told me today, that I could call out your blind spots. So, um, you know, and you start becoming that jerk, holier than thou type guy. Like you go out today and you're getting nachos or something and you get, somebody gets the nachos right in front of you, but you wanted those nachos, so you pull them aside and ask them if they're even saved. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> what we're saying is in a godly way, in a godly way, out of love, out of love, the time is going to come where each of you not only are, are going to need someone to point out your blind spots in your life, to point out the things in your life that are dangerous and not of God, you may be the person that's to point out somebody else's blind spots, and you do it out of love, not out of a holier-than-thou self-righteous attitude. Because I've found over and over again that tends to fall on deaf ears. But when we communicate blind spots out of love, it oftentimes puts us back on the right path. Another reason why we is greater than me is that oftentimes the Goliaths in our lives require a team of Davids. We is greater than me because oftentimes the Goliaths in our lives require a team of Davids. Here's what David found out when he slipped and fell and sinned against God, sinned against Bathsheba, sinned against Uriah. David found out that he could not fight alone anymore. He had had a little bit of success fighting on his own. He had had a little bit of success uh, being independent when he fought Goliath years previous. But as he grew, he began to find out that he could not fight Goliath on his own. And the reality is, guys, you cannot fight the Goliath in your life, the sin in your life, on your own. It's just not going to happen. We always will fall if we choose to face our sin by ourselves. The thing that you're wrestling with inside of you right now, that, that tension that you feel, that temptation that you feel, that, that, that slippery slope that you find yourself on, that cliff, you guys know it. Some of you feel it today. You are standing on a cliff and you feel that one wrong decision, you're off it. And, and the problem is you're so scared to share that with somebody that you're going to try to fight that Goliath on your own when there are people in this room tonight, mentors, leaders, pastors, who are friends, who are, want to be there for you and help catch you before you fall off that cliff. We cannot properly face the Goliaths in our lives by ourselves because we're not strong enough. Guys, you're not strong enough to fight against those things by yourself. 
And also what people do is we will oftentimes, if we're left by ourselves, we'll end up fighting the wrong battles. People in your lives, godly friends, friends who love God and love you, will help you fight the right battles at the right time. Imagine if David had walked out to the battlefield to fight Goliath, saw Goliath, got confused, and started fighting some other dude. And Goliath snuck up behind him and killed him, you know? But luckily, David knew to, to, to fight Goliath. Somebody had placed him and pointed him in the right direction. So often, what we'll find, what I found when I was a student pastor, is I would see students, high school students, that were fighting the wrong battles. Some of you right now, you think the Goliath is your circumstances. Some of you think that the Goliath is your family. Some of you think that the Goliath in your life that you need to see fall down is somebody else in your life. When the reality is the biggest Goliath in most of our lives and all of our lives at some point or another is not our circumstances, but it is the sin that is waging within our own hearts and in our own lives. So it's the biggest Goliath in your life is not your circumstances, it is your sin. And you need people who love you, friends and mentors and pastors who love you, who will not only point out those things in your life, but will help you fight against them. Like David and Nathan. Nathan, not only did he come and point out this sin to David, not only did he step up and say, dude, you screwed up. He goes on, if you go on to read the story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan goes on to help David take steps to, to walk on a new path towards God. You need those people to help steer you back to the Lord. Otherwise, a few things will happen. You will fight the wrong battle at the wrong time, and you will misunderstand what the Goliath is in your life. Guys, I, I promise you this. If you can get anything in high school, please, if you can get anything in high school, it's to understand that most of the time, what you need to happen in, in, in your life is for God to overcome a sin that is waging war within yourself. We cannot blame things on our circumstances. We cannot blame things on what this person has done as that person has done because the good news of the gospel is no matter where you are, where you've been, the broken pieces of your past or your family, no matter what those are, those Goliaths can be crushed by the cross of Jesus Christ. And then God gives us the gift, not only of the cross, but he gives us the gift of people. He gives us the gift of a team of Davids who can rally around our hearts, rally around our lives and help us fight those Goliaths. You were not meant to fight those Goliaths in your life by yourself. You will fall every single time. And then moving over to Ecclesiastes chapter four. Ecclesiastes chapter four is, is one of the most perfect pictures of community and godly friendships is painted in uh, verses nine through 12. We is greater than me because we allows us to see our blind spots. We reveals our blind spots. We also gives us the strength to fight against the right Goliaths in our lives. But also when we gather around one another, we're stronger. We, we, when we gather around each other, we, we can run this race. We can fight towards Christ with a little bit more longevity because we get tired in this life. Each one of you get tired at times. I know guys, living for Jesus in a public school probably wears you out, right? Do you get tired trying to be that person? Do you, do you get tired saying, man, I don't want to do that. I don't, man, it's tired living for Jesus in the context that most of you guys are living for Jesus. But let's look at what God promises us in Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse nine. It says, two are better than one 
because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to one who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up again. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We need other people in our lives to help us keep moving forward. When we don't have brothers and sisters in Christ to help hold our arms up when we're tired, when we don't have people in our lives that are coaching us to keep taking steps towards God, to keep taking steps toward a life that honors him, we will grow tired. But when we allow ourselves to be surrounded by people who love God and love us, we can have strength when we feel like we want to give up. And I'm sure, man, I'm sure there have been plenty of times where you've wanted to give up. And I pray that if you're in that spot tonight where you want to give up and throw in the towel on this whole God thing, you want to throw in the towel maybe on your life or on your family, I hope and pray that tonight you can have something reconciled in your life and in your heart where people in this room rally around you in a way that, that give you the strength to keep going. When I was, uh, I, I loved to run. I don't know, it's this weird thing. I didn't like to run until I turned like 19. Does anybody else like to run? Any runners in here? One of the guys that got baptized, I think your picture, you, you, you like to run. I think it was a track uniform. I love to run, and, um, but I'm not naturally very good at it. I don't, I don't naturally have a ton of longevity. I don't naturally have a ton of st- a stamina when I run. This one time I was running at Gainesville College up in Oakwood years ago, and I was trying to run. I don't know, that day I was probably only trying to run like two miles. And I was running, and you ever get to that point when you're running where you, you just want to, okay, I just can't. You're running and you just want to throw it down. You just want to walk. Just, dear Lord, let me walk. You know, that kind of thing. Well, I'm I'm at that point. I'm by myself. I'm running by myself. And and I'm at that point where I want to give up. And right when I want to give up, so if you picture this, I'm running on a track. Right when I want to give up, I have one more lap to go, but I don't think I can go any further. One more lap to go, and I don't think I can go any further. There's this other family that's just kind of walking around the track, just just kind of strolling around the track. So I'm at this point, I'm, I'm wrestling in my head. I'm like, I'm going to give up. I can't do this. I'm too tired. I got to give up. I have one more lap. What, what difference does it make if I give up now? So I'm running and I come up next to this family and this little boy, he had to have been four or five years old. I don't even know. I mean, I can't, I mean, I don't, didn't talk to the kid. I just, he had to have been four or five years old. Well, he breaks away from the family. Okay, picture this. I'm running. He breaks away from his family. This little four-year-old, five-year-old starts running beside me. Oh yeah. So so I'm running, and all of a sudden, this little kid's beside me. And I'm like, what is this kid doing? Go back to your parents. You know, I could snatch you up and take you if I wanted to. I didn't want to. But uh, <laughs> so we're running, and literally this kid, and he, I mean, he's not even, he's one of those, like, funny kids. He's not even moving his arms, you know, which made me feel kind of bad. You have this five-year-old keeping up with me. He's not even moving his arms. and just kind of, and he's looking up at me as I'm running. He's looking up at me, and the whole time in my head, I'm like, what is this kid doing? Why is this kid running beside me? Go back to mom and dad. You know what's really unique about this story? Is before he stopped and went back to his mom and dad, I realized I had finished my final lap. That's a really simple story, but here's why it's so important. When I had somebody running beside me, I found I could finish the race. In Ecclesiastes 4, we see this picture of two are better than one. 
You can stand up a little stronger when you have somebody beside you. You can last a little longer when you have somebody beside you. When you're tired and you want to throw in the towel, you can last a little longer when you have someone beside you. But if you are alone in this pursuit of God, in this life, you will grow tired and want to throw in the towel and say, I'm done. But when people are running beside you in this race, as the Bible calls it in Hebrews chapter 12, this is a race. We're running towards God together. When people are running beside you, you find that you can run a little bit longer. You find that you can keep going just a little bit longer. I know David is thankful. As much as it hurt in the moment for Nathan to call him out, I know David is thankful that he had a brother in Nathan who was able to come alongside him and say, Brother, this isn't, this isn't God's best. And we go on to see a story of David's life. He becomes a picture of redemption, a picture of God's grace. He writes a psalm, Psalm 51. One of the most popular psalms is a psalm David wrote after he's confronted by Nathan about the sin of Bathsheba. And David just cries out to God and says, God, forgive me, wash me clean. And the beautiful thing is what we know about God and through his love in Jesus Christ is that God actually answers the prayers for us to be forgiven. And then we also learn that Solomon, David's son, is the one that writes Ecclesiastes, where we just read that passage. So despite David's screw-ups, because he had a brother who would point him back to God, there begins to see a legacy of grace and forgiveness, and God puts together the broken pieces. Please understand this. No matter where you are, the decisions that you've made, how far away you feel from God, if you look to him, rest in the cross of Jesus Christ and allow Christian brothers and sisters to rally around you, God can and will pick up the broken pieces. And your legacy does not have to be that screw up. Your legacy can be grace. Your legacy can be forgiveness and your legacy can be about God. What what is so interesting, and this is really new to me, What's so interesting to me about Ecclesiastes 4, and this is how we're going to kind of wrap it up, is in the first, really, really the whole passage until the last phrase, you see, you see two is better than one, right? Did you hear what I, how I read it? It said two are better than one. It says, if one falls, the other will pick them up. If, again, if two lie together, they keep warm. And you see this theme of two, two, two. And then all of a sudden... That last phrase says a three-chord strand is not quickly broken. My, the question that, that, that kind of came to my heart when I was reading that is the whole passage talks about two, and then the last verse or the last phrase says three. Where did that third, that third thing come from? Why, why did it go from two to three? Why a chord of three strands? Not, why not just say a chord of two strands is not easily broken? And here's what I think this is, and I'm kind of reading into the text, but I know it's a truth from God's word is that a, a cord of two strands of just you and I is, is easily broken. But when we add Jesus to the equation, it's not easily broken. So when we say godly community, when we say accountability, when we say godly relationships, here's what we're saying. It's you plus others plus Jesus equals amazing strength. Is Jesus a part of your relationships? Do you have relationships that help point you back to God in the midst of your screw-ups and your past and your broken decisions, your mistakes? Are there people in your life who see your blind spots? They see you, not a fake you, but a real you. And they love you enough to say, hey, that's not, that's not right. That's not God. 
Are there people who are running beside you on this race? These are questions that I hope you wrestle with today and onward as you think about who you are in Christ. Are there people around you who help you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus? You cannot win this fight on your own. When you fight by yourself, you fall. But when you fight with a group of people, the chances of victory are so much better. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, thank you for, uh, Lord, not only the gift of your son, knowing that salvation is near to those who would believe that, that if we just would ask for it, God, if we would trust in the cross of Jesus, that we would trust in your grace, your forgiveness, that you'd give it to us. No matter where we've screwed up, no matter the broken pieces of our past, God, you offer forgiveness and that's incredible, Lord. We don't deserve it, but God, then you give us the gift of brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a gift, Lord, that we also don't deserve. God, I pray for the young men and women in this room that you would give them the gift of each other in a way that honors you. That the life groups, connection groups would, would grow not only in number, but in strength and in depth. Lord, as they seek to run after you, that you would place their eyes on you together, that you would see a group of high schoolers link arms in the common cause of knowing Christ better. And Lord, we would see an army, not in a, in a, in a sarcastic, cheesy way, but Lord, we would see this group of high schoolers band together in a way that every Goliath in their life falls. Lord, our Goliaths don't stand a chance against a group of passionate followers of Jesus. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.